Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey... Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. Today's guest is Don Wood, and he is going to talk about how he helps individuals reprocess their trauma so they are no longer in a consistent state of hypervigilance and responding to the past trauma in the present moment. I really enjoyed talking to Don. His work aligns a lot with how I work with the individuals and how I see trauma and addiction manifest itself. So I think you're going to enjoy this podcast quite a bit. So we'll start that in a second. First, I just want to say if you are struggling with any of life's challenges, you can reach out to us at theaddictedmind.com forward slash help. That will take you to our counseling agency, Novus Mindful Life Family Counseling Recovery Center in Long Beach, California. And right now, we are also doing online sessions as well. So if you need help and you need some support, reach out to us and we can get that going for you as well. Also, if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind please rate and review us in iTunes. That does get us a lot of exposure and I really appreciate it. And think about joining our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind Podcast, click join and continue the conversation online there as well. Okay, with that said, let's get this episode going with Dr. Don Wood. Hello everyone, welcome to the Addicted Mind Podcast. Today my guest is Don Wood, and he is going to talk about trauma and how we can heal trauma and how we can change it and I guess fix it. I don't know, Don, why don't you introduce yourself and tell me about it? (laughs) 
Very good. Well, thank you for the invitation on being here. I'm really excited to share with you what we're doing. We've been getting a lot of success, not only with trauma, but with also addiction. What I sort of have found, and that's what really got me more interested, is that what I was finding is that people were learning to live and manage and cope with trauma. That's sort of the model. And what we have discovered is that we can eliminate it. We don't need to be dealing with these effects. It's creating glitches and error messages in the way our mind is working. Because if you read all the self-help books, they'll tell you to stay present, be in the moment. But our minds don't work like that. And once we understand how our minds are working, we actually have created solutions to be able to get it to be able to stay present. And then that stops those glitches and error messages. That's awesome. I think, you know, one of the things that so many people struggle with, especially with addiction, is a lot of people who have addiction as an issue have trauma in the background kind of flowing and causing havoc in their life. So I'm really excited about having this conversation. So tell me more. I believe that everybody that is dealing with addiction, and it's got to be, if it's not 99, it's 99 plus, have all had trauma. It's just the way our minds work. And so because our minds are experiencing and going through trauma on a looping basis, there's where the people, they can't shut off this loop of information. You see, our subconscious mind operates in the present. So 95% of your brain is always present, just like an animal mind is always present. Animals are 100% present all the time. We, 95% of our mind is working just like that. So when we have traumatic events and experiences in our lifetime, those are recorded into memory different than just regular experiences. So if I asked you, for example, can you tell me what you ate for dinner last night? Yeah, I can tell you what I had, uh, chicken and rice. Chicken and rice. So when I asked you that, even though I can't see you, you looked up and you probably saw pictures, right, of what you ate, the chicken and the rice or where you were. That's so crazy. Yes. My eyes totally looked up and I recalled and then came back down and then I answered. That's yes, exactly. That just happened. So you accessed information about something that happened to you last night. Now, because last night wasn't threatening or disturbing, that was recorded and stored in memory as a fairly low resolution file. Now, had that been threatening or disturbing, your mind would have recorded that differently. All your senses would be heightened. A hearing, sight, sound, all that kind of stuff would be then intensified. So it stores it in what I call high definition, high resolution. And this is where the glitch comes in. If your mind, for whatever reason, goes back into memory and sees the images that were stored about those traumatic events, when does it think those events are actually happening? Right. So doesn't it make sense that your mind would create a response to a threat? But it's not a threat. It's memory about a threat. And so if you have constantly your nervous system being dysregulated like that, and you're constantly feeling this fear or anger, whatever it's creating, the purpose of fear is to escape a threat. The purpose of anger is to attack a threat. So if you think about something that happened to you 10 years ago and you feel fear, it's an error message. Your mind is calling for an action, an action about something that happened 10 years ago. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So that uh, goes a lot to the, the idea that we store the trauma in the body, which to me is a evolutionary 
advantage at sometimes, right? If you remember a thread, it can save you when you have that thread again. But if it's not in the right way, uh, it becomes debilitating, I guess. Exactly. So what's happening is the high resolution data is constantly being activated, creating a physiological response, right? Fight or flight. Right. And it's going off. That's an emergency management system designed to protect you. But for most people, it's become an operating system. It's on almost all the time. Right. And so my wife grew up in a traumatic household and she ended up burning out her thyroid. She has Hashimoto's. And that was because she was constantly producing cortisol. Right. And so if that's happening all the time, it's going to have an effect physically. Now, my wife didn't get into drugs and alcohol, right? But a lot of people who have dealt with that kind of trauma, the only way they can stop that loop, even temporarily, is to use a drug or alcohol. And then that temporarily stops the pain. The mind will do anything to avoid pain. It will try to protect you. So we start at our organization, the Inspire Performance Institute, we start off with the premise that there's nothing wrong with anybody. There's nothing wrong with anybody's mind. Your mind is being affected by events and experiences throughout your lifetime, which is constantly activating your nervous system. And you couldn't not do it. So when I work with people in addiction, I say that this is not about your character, willpower, strengths, or morals. This is basically how your mind works, how your brain has been developed to protect you. So if you have this high-resolution data stored and your mind constantly is activating it, then what happens is, is that you create a response. And the response could be, I take a drink or I take a drug. Then we have also a second memory system, procedural memory. And procedural memory is based on the basal ganglia, learning how to adapt to its environment. So if you go out of your way to keep doing something over and over, you're training your brain to build a code for you, to protect you, just like the animal mind does. And so I believe what's actually happening in addiction is that you've had emotional pain from trauma. And because you repeated a particular resource to stop the pain, you built a code that your mind then uses to keep you out of pain. But it's an error message. Your mind thinks that there's something to do with that substance in your survival. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So let me just make sure I understand what you're saying. So we have a trauma. It gets stored in our body, I guess, what you're saying. It's actually stored in memory, but then the body is actually getting the response. So the way I explain it is, think of the brain or the mind as the computer, the body is the printer. Right. Okay. Okay. So we have that traumatic memory, then it pops up and we have that response, that bodily response. And the mind sends a signal to the body to do something. Right. You're in threat. You know, you either need to fight or you need to flee. And you can use, I guess, a substance or a behavior to flee, or you can get angry to fight, even though in the present moment, that threat is not even there. Exactly. And then we're stuck in that over and over again. And looping. So my daughter had the same thing. My daughter had, we found out when she was 14, she had Crohn's. And then when she was 16, she told us about some sexual abuse that she had when she was between six and eight that we didn't know about. And so that's where she was responding. So what I say is if we have unresolved trauma, we create inflammation in the body. The inflammation is the response to trauma. Inflammation is basically a pause. 
the body is basically going into a pause mode, developing a hardened membrane in its cells to protect the integrity of the system. We don't want to allow anything to penetrate that cell. Right. So nothing's getting into the cell, but nothing's getting out of the cell. So this cell danger response is a temporary measure to protect the system. The problem is, is if the memory keeps looping, the cell danger response stays active. Right. Okay. So you stay in this constant state of inflammation because the mind is thinking that the trauma is still active, even though it happened 10 years ago. Right. And can this be like low level stress? When you talk about trauma, can this be like a low level trauma? Yes. So I call those big T trauma or small T trauma, but I call those emotional concussions. Emotional concussions. Okay. Can we talk a little bit about what that is? Because I think people need to understand that. Because usually when we say trauma, people think of like big T trauma. Yes. But, and those things are the obvious things. Like if you're, you have a big accident or you witness you're at war and you witness, you know, things there, like those are the big T traumas. Exactly. And then the small T traumas, what are those? How would you describe that? Those could be things like from my wife, when she was in elementary school, a teacher brought her up to the front of the class, put her on a pedestal and started firing math questions at her. Like what's three times six? What's two times eight? She froze. And so what happened was, is the way her mind interpreted that particular event is I'm stupid. Right, right. So did the teacher intend to do that? I doubt it. What the teacher was trying to do is, you know, put her up there to see if she could answer these questions. And then, you know, that was one of the ways we do it. But that created, when I sat and talked with her about this, when we developed this program, she was sobbing when she talked about that, that what happened to her that day. That means that it's active. If you feel an emotion when you think about something like that, your mind is trying to get you to do something, run away, right? Or tell the teacher, stop this. Don't, I'm not doing this anymore. But you can't do it because even at the time you couldn't have done it probably, you know, you're not going to stand up to a teacher. Yeah. You didn't have the resources at the time or the way to do it. And you were trapped in it. Yes. And the child doesn't have enough life experience at that point to know how to respond. So it stays in that loop of a six, seven-year-old child actively responding to this threat in real time. Right. And I think, you know, one thing I think is really important what you're saying is about these small T traumas that I see a lot is a lot of people go, well, I shouldn't feel that way about that. It was just the teacher, you know, telling me to answer math questions. Come on, you know, that's not a big deal. Right. But it is, and it's staying active. Here's another great example. I had a lady come in last week, and she said to me, she was very angry at her stepfather. She didn't like him. She had a terrible relationship with him. And she says, but my brother and sister loved him. But she says, I really didn't. And it came back to when she was six years old, her mother had just married him. And she was supposed to meet her original father, like her birth father, who she had never met before. But her stepfather said, he's not a nice man, right? And you were a mistake. Oh, my gosh. And so what she was so angry at him for calling her a mistake, but that's what continued to loop for her. And so you have to get that resolved. If you don't get that event resolved, so what we do in our program is we can resolve it like very quickly. And so as I took her through our process, she says, I'm feeling this amazing 
energy release, right? She says, I can feel it in my chest. She says, all of a sudden now I'm remembering my stepfather braiding my hair with me because that memory was the dominant memory and it was a threat. So that's the one that keeps looping. Once you resolve that, all of a sudden now the mind starts to see things differently. But a child doesn't know that what he was saying was a common term people use. Is it your mother got pregnant at 18? You know, that was really a mistake. Not your mistake. Right. But she doesn't have enough life experience at six years of age to interpret that. So then it goes into a trauma for her. Right. So I also hear what you're saying is that these traumas can be on and looping. And I think sometimes people lose contact that they're actually in trauma, but they are in trauma. I don't know if that makes sense. Like the consciously, they don't realize their body is actually in trauma and trying to cope with this threat because they're so used to the threat that it's almost becomes normalized. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. That's a great observation because if you like my wife my wife lived in hypervigilance ever since she was a child that felt normal if you've walked for 30 years with a sprained ankle and then somebody says why are you limping you'll probably say i don't limp right yeah yeah definitely and yet you're limping right yeah we see that a lot in people who come in with addiction which kind of blows me away sometimes they can talk about trauma and I would say, oh my gosh, that's huge trauma. And they talk to me and they go, yeah, but it, that was just normal. And they totally dismiss it so fast. Yes. Like, it's unbelievable. It's like, no, that's really traumatic. It really is. It's amazing what we would call trauma. For example, I had a veteran who came in and he actually, he was working patrol. He was the sergeant and he had his team out. And the guy standing behind him, they were walking. He put his hand up to stop. The guy didn't, wasn't looking and bumped him. And he stepped forward and stepped on an IED and blew his leg off. And so you're thinking this is the big trauma that he had to deal with. Now, he rides motorcycles and this is – so when they rush him to the hospital, he says to the doctor on the way in, he says, am I going to be able to – still ride a motorcycle because he's in shock, right? But he's... Right, right. And the doctor, rather than try to calm him, turns around and says, why are you talking about motorcycles right now? I'm trying to save your life. That was his biggest trauma, more than the bomb. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Wow. That is amazing. Because he threatened them. Like, you may never be the same again. So now that was the biggest trauma that he had about that whole incident. And I think that's so insightful because a lot of times we can easily latch on to what we think the big trauma is for somebody and really find out that it's this other little piece. It's this meaning or something that impacted them. And I think we have to really slow down and be with them to be able to get to that and really listen. Because a lot of times, yeah, you're right. You know, what we think, and it looks from the outside, it looks like that's the traumatic part, but really it's this other part. There's so many examples of that. I had another lady who, she was four years old, her sister was 10 and they had a baby. And so there was the three girls and their parents hired an 18-year-old babysitter who tried to assault the 10-year-old. Well, the 10-year-old was pretty smart. She said, listen, I don't want my sisters sitting in this room. Let me put them away. And then she got into a room and locked it. So then by the time the parents came home, this guy left. Obviously, he was going to get out of there in a hurry. They told their parents... And now she's four years old when this happens, but she can remember it. And she was very angry at her parents because she said, my parents didn't do anything to protect me. 
And I said, what do you mean? And she says, well, nothing was ever done. Cops were never called. This guy, nothing ever happened to him. My parents didn't believe me. And so once we got into that, I said, is it possible that as a four-year-old, they didn't bring you into it? Is it possible that maybe you didn't know what they did and you never talked about it, right, with them? She goes, no, I've just been very angry that they didn't protect us. And I said, did you ever see the 18-year-old again? He was like, well, no, right? So he never babysat again for you, no. Is it possible that he maybe just confessed and went to prison and you was never a trial? And that had never occurred to her. So then when she starts to process that possibility, it then changes the way a four-year-old was interpreting or perceiving that event. Right. It's seen it in a whole different way. Yep. And that releases, right, that, that possibility that that starts to make sense. Right. And then there's other ways to begin to look at it. And I've seen that too. And even in my own life, you get locked into an interpretation of the event that goes around and around and around. And it can be difficult to not see it in that frame. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. And so those things have to be updated. So one of the things that I talk about is this is how our minds work. When I did a lot of research and putting our program together, one of the things that I discovered was something called the time slice theory. And the time slice theory was developed by two scientists out of the University of Zurich that said, is consciousness streaming? Now, most people would say, yeah, everything feels like it's a continuous flow of information. However, it's not. Your subconscious mind is seeing everything in real time. So everything for your subconscious is happening now. It takes in all that information, processes it, and sends time slices or pieces of that information to your conscious mind your logical, reasonable, intellectual part of your mind. But there's a 400 millionth of a second gap in between your subconscious seeing it, processing it, and then sending it before you're even consciously aware of it. Now, that's pretty quick. You know, you wouldn't be able to even see that. Right. So when I read that, I said, well, this makes perfect sense. What's happening is, is when your subconscious mind's taking in the information, what I say it does is it does a Google search. What does this look like, sound like, smell like? And what does it do? Goes into your explicit memory, right? Your detail memory. Right. And starts looking at files and then says, uh-oh. And as soon as it starts to see the file and starts looking at the information, it thinks it's happening now. Right. It doesn't know the difference. Doesn't know the difference between that, right? Right. Yeah. And so you couldn't consciously stop that. And that's why people get into addiction. People get into behaviors and habits because they're just trying to feel better. They're trying to stop that Google search. And I always say the reason people use drugs and alcohol is because it works. Yeah, it works. You know, drugs, alcohol, sex, food, all these things can change that state for at least that moment. For the moment. Now, I had a lady come in who had been on heroin. And when she first sat down with me, she'd been in therapy for seven years. And she says, my therapist told me that I have to be upfront and honest with you and tell you that I have self-destructive behavior. And so I just sort of smiled. I said, really, what would make you think you're self-destructive? And she was surprised. And then she looks at me and she says, well, I was sticking a needle in my arm with heroin. Don't you think that's self-destructive? And I said something to her she hadn't heard before. I said, no, I don't think that was self-destructive. I think you're trying to feel better. Right, yeah. And I'll bet you when you stuck the needle in your arm, you felt better. She goes, well, yeah. I said, that's what you were trying to do. Now, the substance that you're using was destructive, but you're not destructive. Right. 
taking it out of as an identity. So it's not like I'm destructive. It's, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it puts it into that frame of like this behavior, like an addiction makes sense if you need to survive. <laughs> exactly. The people who were jumping out of the buildings at 9-11 weren't jumping out to die. They were jumping out to live. Right. Yeah. They knew they were going to die, even if they stayed another fraction of a second. So at least there was a possibility something could happen. Right. Yeah. They were willing to take that chance. That's what I believe addiction is, is the brain is so desperate to survive that if you can shut off even temporarily and bring some relief, that your mind will actually push you towards that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's so painful. It's so uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. And doesn't that make perfect sense? To me, it makes total sense. And I see that manifest itself over and over in my practice as well. Yes. But the good news is we can fix it. All right, let's talk about that. <laughs> so the key is to get the mind to stop looping the trauma. So what we do is we've developed a series of techniques that we take you through that, and we do this in a four-hour session. So we can eliminate, reduce and eliminate PTSD, panic attacks, anxiety attacks. The goal is, is we want your mind to reset that high-definition memory into the same format as to what you ate for dinner last night. Right, okay. And then it stops calling for the action because it's just information now. But when it sees the intensity to it, so what's actually happening is that we have four brainwave states. We have beta, alpha, theta, delta. When we're in beta brainwave state, our mind is very, very active, taking in tremendous amounts of information. We're cycling between 15 and 30 hertz or cycles per second. So when you have a traumatic event, you're in a very high beta brainwave state. The mind's taking in tremendous amounts of detail because it's in a threat, right? So everything is exaggerated. So that's why it keeps activating the nervous system because it's so bright and intense. The mind's trying to protect you and get you to run or fight. What we're going to do is we want to get you into an alpha brainwave state which is between 7 and 14 hertz. It's where you're very, very relaxed, but super focused. So what we want to do is we want your mind to reprocess that information that was originally stored in beta and reprocess it into a alpha brainwave state. And shift it back to information. Yeah, just information in a very relaxed state. So the mind's not going to feel threatened in an alpha brainwave state. We're changing the frequency of the memory. And when you do that, then the mind doesn't see that intensity and it's not going to respond. So I worked with a U.S. Army sniper. He had to shoot and kill a 12-year-old boy. And as he was trying to tell me, he's just shaking and sobbing. And by the time I was finished in that four-hour session, he could tell me everything that happened that day in complete detail. And he said to me, he said, how did you do that? Why am I not shaking and crying right now? And I says, because for eight years, your mind's been trying to get you not to pull the trigger. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's great. And you're not pulling the trigger, right? It's information about something. So we're not happy about it. We're not looking for happy. All we're trying to do is stop the dysregulation of the nervous system, which is the emotion. Because anytime you have an emotion, a feeling, a sensation, or a thought, your mind's calling for an action. What does it want you to do? For him, it was trying to get him not to shoot the boy. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. Once his mind got that update, it was like, we're not shooting a boy. We shot a boy. We're not happy, but we don't have to. There's no action required now. So there's no emotion because there's no action required. Right. So you can look 
back at that event in a way that you can get the information about it, you can understand it, but you're not having this intense emotional reaction as if you were there. Exactly. You know, trying not to pull the trigger, but you had to pull the trigger. Yep. And so your mind kept calling for the action, but you couldn't do the action because it wasn't possible. So it keeps looping. Right. So you could never resolve it. You can never go through it. You just keep reliving that experience over and over and over again. Yep. So of course, people are going to turn to drugs and alcohol to shut that off. Of course. It's awful. That makes perfect sense to me. I grew up in this idyllic childhood, never had any trauma my life. I got bumped along the way here and there. But because as a child, my nervous system was constantly regulated. I was My parents were just loving, nurturing, never raised their voice. My brother and sister and I can't even remember them arguing. So because I'm living in that, my system's constantly being regulated. So as I'm growing up, I'm learning how to deal with the bumps and the bruises. My wife didn't. My wife was constantly living with the lion, with the threat. And so her nervous system never felt safe. So she's now living in this hypervigilance. So if I said to her, no, I don't like that, she would start to tear up and say, why are you mad at me? And I'd say, honey, I'm not mad at you. Why do you think I'm mad at you? See, as a child, she had learned to listen so carefully to the way her father spoke that she had to recognize when danger was coming. So she heard it everywhere. So constantly her nervous system, right, is being activated. She felt fear all the time. And so when I first met her and then I started to realize what was going on, eventually she told me, you know, what was happening and I was sworn to secrecy. I could never tell anybody. She didn't want anybody to know this about her. She says it's a reflection on her and her family. And I kept saying, no, it's not. But I was sworn to secrecy. Once we got that trauma resolved, she'll sit down and talk to you about it. Right. Yeah. Because the shame and the guilt left. Yeah. It's no longer there. And it's just information that you're accessing. Exactly. And so now people are amazed at how they can talk about it without, because as soon as they would try, if you had said to my wife, oh, I heard you had a traumatic childhood. This is before she went through this program. She would have started to tear up instantly because what would her mind do? It would start going into, what do I have to talk about? Seeing all the information, she would be in a dysregulated state. Wow. That's cool. I love that. I mean, that's so exciting because, you know, when you're in that state of suffering, it's just so hard to be there. And so many people are there. They want out so much, you know, they, because it's miserable to be hypervigilant all the time. It doesn't feel good. I've been there. I know that. And you look for things to get you out of that state so that you're not constantly in that it doesn't serve you very well. And like, you know, what you were saying with your wife, that's how relationships break up because one person, you know, is going, you're mad at me. And the other person is like, no, I'm not. But they're actually responding to trauma. They're not actually responding to the person in front of them. They're responding to the trauma, but it feels so real. So what was happening when I would say to my wife, no, I don't like that. I thought she was crying because of what I just said. So I started thinking, okay, I've got to be more careful how I say it. I got to choose my words better. Or maybe I don't even tell her if there's something wrong. So I don't even hear the little slight change of inflection in my voice. Maybe I had something frustrating during the day, right? And I'm coming home thinking I'm not saying it any differently, but it was slightly changed. She could hear that like I scream. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Because she's listening so carefully that her, that's why a lot of people who have had abuse in their life are very sensitive to sound. And so they'll respond very strongly to sound. 
And so what I now realize is what was happening is when I said, no, I don't like that, it wasn't what I just said. It was the way I said it, that her mind would then go into memory and say, what do we know about men when they start to sound different? Right. Right. And then this flood of data would come into her mind and she would be looking at her mind below her conscious awareness is viewing all these high resolution files about being hurt. Right. Okay. So when that's happening... How do you, in your program, start to deal with this? So you get people in a relaxed state and have them recall the event? Yes. And we're only going to do about two to three minutes and we'll get it updated. So when the mind's in that very relaxed state and we're recalling the high beta traumatic memory, the mind frequencies, you can actually take a frequency out or a higher frequency out with a lower frequency. So, I mean, talk to a sound technician. They'll tell you that all the time. You do recordings, right? So if you want to knock out another sound, you can use a frequency to knock it out. Right. Use the opposite frequency. Yeah. Yep. So it's the same thing with this. What we're doing is we're providing a counter frequency in the memory. And the mind then takes that new frequency while it's processing it. Right. And then changes it into the lower state. And then the mind stops responding to it. And people are shocked at like, how does it happen that fast? Right. So- I worked with Rebecca Gregory. She was at the Boston Marathon. Mm-hmm. She was three feet from the first bomb. By the time we were finished, she could talk about the bombing that day. But when she first sat down, she was shaking and crying. And I said, the reason you're shaking and crying right now is because your mind thinks there's a bomb behind you about to blow up, even though it happened five years ago. And you can't stop it because as long as your mind can access the memory, then it's going to respond to it. And that's why people get into drugs and alcohol because they stop the mind from accessing through its Google search. Right, right. Yeah, totally. It makes perfect sense. That changes the whole dialogue on how we should be. And I believe this is true. I talked with Joe Polish. I don't know if you know Joe Polish from the Genius Network. Yeah. Joe says, we've got to change the dialogue on addiction. We're treating these people with guilt and shame. Yes. And yet that's what got them into it in the first place is this guilt and shame. We've got to have an understanding that they couldn't do it any other way. It's impossible for them not to become addicted if they've experienced life that way. And I think that is such an important point to make because, you know, people with addiction, we've had that. This is some kind of moral issue. You have some kind of weakness. You're somehow morally flawed. And that to really understand it, that this has nothing to do with any kind of morality or value system. It has to do with this trauma that is, you know, people are trying to deal with and cope with. And I think that's such an important point. And that's what, as soon as I sit down, I start talking to somebody. Michelle, as a young lady, she had 17 years of addiction. And when she came in, she was on seven medications. She told me she has ADD, bipolar. She gave me everything that she was on all for this medications. And I said to her, I said, Michelle, there's nothing wrong with you. I said, you've experienced trauma, right? She goes, oh yeah, I've had a lot of trauma. I said, yeah, I can hear it in your voice. I said, so we actually documented her story. You can actually watch it on our site and see her go through it. And I said, what we're going to do first is we're going to first get your mind to update that explicit memory, the details about the events and experiences, right? Once that happens, then we're going to work on procedural memory, which is the codes your mind built to respond to that. And you can listen to a series of audios to and train and retrain your brain to respond differently to any kind of stress. And I said, once you do that, right, you're free. Right. 
because that's now so i always say if you had windows 7 operating and it was glitchy and causing problems and we install windows 10 you don't have to worry about windows 7 coming back right yeah yeah totally and once you can do that it's such a relief yeah i don't believe that you're an addict all your life you've proven that you've stopped right and then you add in resolving and this is the one thing that i think needs to be added to it so you've built a new program a new code which is great if you add in taking out that explicit memory right then you're complete because now you've got the full package you there's nothing burning on the sidelines about that old trauma that could start to activate something again so once that's updated it's completely updated and you know i've worked with people who you know years after will come back and say, you know, oh, I think I had a lady who she was sexually assaulted by an uncle when she was nine years of age. She's now in her 50s. And for the first time since that happened, she met her uncle at a family reunion and she had no reaction. She didn't start crying or shaking. Once the mind updates that information, it's done. Right. It doesn't have to go back to that anymore. It's, yeah, it's complete. It can remember it but it's not going to call for the action. It's the chicken dinner that you ate last night. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I had, it was funny because you talk about that. I had a guy who got sick at a Chipotle uh -huh. and he said every time for a year, he could, if he drove by a Chipotle, he would get nauseous and want to throw up. Right. And he says, so what is my mind trying to do to stop me from going into Chipotle? I says, yes, a year ago. Right. Right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's trying to stop you from going to Chipotle a year ago. Right, right. Oh, wow. Okay, so we're kind of running on our time here. I usually like to ask if anybody's out there and they're struggling, what would be the one thing you'd want to tell them? That there's nothing wrong with you, right? You're not broken and defeated, right? That the powers within you, you can actually heal. The mind and body is designed to heal. All you need, what you've been missing are the tools to do it. So if you came in with a broken leg and I gave you morphine, you're going to continue to have a broken leg. You're just going to stop the pain temporarily. But if you come in and we reset your leg and we give you the morphine to stop the pain while it's healing, you're fine. Awesome. Oh, thank you, Don, so much. How can people find you and how can they get your information if they want to find out more? If you go to our site, it's Inspired Performance Institute. And it's interesting, we called this program a performance program. It's not a trauma program or a therapy program, right? We don't believe, again, like I said, there's nothing wrong with you. So what's interfering with you being able to perform at your highest and best level? In most cases, it's trauma. Even I work with CEOs, world-class athletes. Once we clear the trauma, performance goes up. So if you go to our site, you can see a whole bunch of the testimonials of people who, athletes that I've been working with are breaking world records after they go and winning world championships. Because once their mind resets, now they've got more energy, more power, more focus. And I think as well, I think this will probably be in the show notes as we're offering a first chapter of my book, You Must Be Out of Your Mind. Right. So I think you get that as a free download as well. Awesome. Awesome. So people can go to your website. Yes. And they can learn a lot about it. They can get some information, watch some of the testimonials. I'm sure, like I said, there's a lot of people who have dealt with addiction some of the testimonials, you can see Michelle's story. And so what I'd like to encourage people, and Dwayne, you're a great example of this, is that our traumas can either take us down or they can inspire us. Absolutely. And so I know that you got inspired by what happened to you and with you and your wife and your daughter, right? Look at what you're doing here today to help other people. Oh, thank you for saying that. So 
that's the possibility. Absolutely. I think there's hope for everybody out there. And like you said, I believe everybody has the resources within them to be able to heal and find, you know, hope and contentment and moments of happiness in this life. So absolutely. 100%. I agree. So thank you, Don, so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your wisdom. I appreciate it so much. All right. Great talking to you, Dwayne. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. You can go to theaddictedmind.com forward slash 93 to get all the show notes. And once again, if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind, think about sharing it with a friend or rate and review us on iTunes. That really does help and I really appreciate it. And join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast and click join. Love to see you online there as well. All right, everybody. Have a wonderful day and I'll talk to you on the next episode. It's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.